Hey guys, my name is CJ Finley and this is a Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. So if you have a new idea, project, or business that you're trying to get started and you're feeling a little bit stuck, I'd love to help you or connect you with somebody that can. Today is January 3rd and I have my first guest on here today. And the reason that I chose this guest is because for some of you that already know, we have a new HQ and also a new house that Aaron and I are living in. So I welcome none other than my realtor, Mr. Ian Grossman. How are you doing today, Ian? Pretty good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So yesterday I released an episode, January 2nd, which is a huge day for me and for Thrive because three years ago in 2017, I quit my job, uh, quit the stability of that, and went all in on my mission. And the reason that I brought Ian on today is because I now want to inspire others to go above and beyond, not just follow the same path that everybody else has. And Ian represents this super, super well as an ex-public education, right? You were an elementary elementary school teacher. Yeah. And now he's a realtor. So I'd love to just start off with a little bit of your backstory and how you even got into public education. I saw a photo of you. Did you have earrings on in that photo? I did. (laughs) Um, I actually got my ears pierced in college. And... It comes in handy. I haven't worn them in years, but it comes in handy when we have holidays or things I need to dress up for, pop some earrings in. So those were like, it was a one of our Christmas holiday days and it was an ugly sweater day. So I went turtleneck, ugly sweater, and one of my coworkers brought some big holiday earrings for me. Well, so. it was an awesome photo. So backstory for, for people out there. Uh, I follow Ian on Instagram and I saw a picture he posted of he's basically surrounded by kids and, and Christmas sweaters yeah. and he has these big earrings on. And I was like, what the hell? Ian had <laughs> earrings because he's basically a straight, straight up guy, good, good looking dude. And I didn't really picture that, which is funny because I also had earrings when I was in college. But what actually inspired you to become a teacher in the first place? Like, where'd you go to school? Where'd you grow up? And like, kind of what, where that educational inspiration come from? Yeah. So I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, um, Marietta, which is just, it's a suburb north of Atlanta. And going through high school, I lifeguarded at a summer camp and loved just like the the kid interaction and taught kids to swim, taught at summer camps, um, sleepaway camps. I knew that I enjoyed that interaction. The thing that held me back from committing to it was knowing what teachers make for a living. <laughs> and it's sad, right? Yeah, it's 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 a huge problem. It's one of the reasons that I want to uh, start spearheading more education. And I'm so interested in education um, today is because I think, one, it's overpriced and people that should be getting paid more aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but talk a little bit more about that. So you, you did go that route. Well, I went to University of Arizona for college, um, which was a big leap and most of my class went to SEC school. So University of Georgia, Georgia Tech, Alabama, Auburn, um, myself and a couple friends, we ventured out, went out to Arizona. I actually started school as a pre-business major because I still didn't want to commit to being a teacher. So when you went to school and you didn't know what you wanted to do, you went pre-business, just like basic business classes. And after the first semester, I remember just sitting thinking like, why am I still held back from becoming a teacher? Like, it can't all just be about the money, right? There's got to be other ways. To- what? So, 
what in so you, you were a lifeguard, but what inspired you in the, in a teach? Because that's a little bit different. Like you're a little bit of an athlete, and like I get the lifeguard. Yeah. Um, I used to swim a lot, and yeah, it's not like being a lifeguard inspired me to become yeah, a teacher. Like, so but what? Like dig a little bit deeper into what got put in your head. Like, do you have any parents that were teachers or, nope, or no people parents, around you? No parents that were teachers. Um, I think part of it was some of my experiences as a student. I wanted to be the teacher that I didn't have. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, um, and I remember saying that in my, this is, so this is opening up a little bit more than I usually share, but when I made that switch to, okay, I'm going to go to the College of Education and start this path, I went and had to do an interview to get in, which you would think getting into the College of Education, like as long as you have they a heartbeat. one teachers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember I had my interview and they asked questions like that. Um, and I got home and my counselor called me. She was like, what the hell did you say on your interview? I was like, what do you mean? She was like, they're not planning to accept you. I was like, what do you mean I'm not being accepted to the College of Education? <laughs> like, I didn't think it was going to be that much of it. And I wasn't, it's not like getting into law school. Yeah, like know? it's, should be pretty standard. Yes. Don't be a criminal. Don't, like. <laughs> exactly. They just didn't, I mean, I was a, I wasn't in a fraternity. I did enjoy partying, but not to like where I, I didn't come into my interview hungover. Like yeah, I was ready yeah. to go for it. And I wound up having to meet with the dean. This is why I hate college yeah. man. Like this. Sat in a room with him. And I actually think I told him that I would be teacher of the year at some point. So you, you walk into this dean's office. And did you know what was going on? Like, did you know why they wanted to see you before you got into the office? They told me that he just wanted to have a conversation to make sure I was serious about it. So they took it when you said that you wanted to be the teacher that you didn't have. They thought yeah. you were bullshitting pretty much. I guess yeah. so. Yeah. I mean, that's the epitome of our education system right now. <laughs> They're I mean, more worried about people that say something rather than, I mean, you show up. Exactly. should be taken. Yeah, I I didn't have interview skills. Like I was a 19 year yeah. 20 year old that I was a college kid, yeah. you know. So <laughs> so I probably really fucked up that <laughs> that interview. Um and we had the conversation. I get a call, you've been accepted, followed that path and I really did enjoy it. And even when I graduated, that money thing came back. This was in 2008. No one's getting jobs, 2008. All of my friends that graduated with business degrees are either like super, super entry-level sales jobs or they're doing internships because they can't find a or job. Or they're bartenders. Or, or, or yeah, they're doing some so, sort of side job, yeah. yeah. Um, so finished in you know four years in Arizona, moved back to Atlanta, and I had a friend that was like, I just got a job at this new school. It's, op it's brand new, it's opening. They probably still have positions open. So I met with the principal, interviewed, and she's like, we want you to have a job as a fourth-grade teacher. What does a fourth-grade teacher make? I started at somewhere between thirty-eight and forty thousand dollars. You can make that doing an Uber. Yeah, that's crazy. And that's what I was. Even when she offered me a job, I was talking to my dad about, it and I was like, "Do I really want to do this?" And he said, "It's what you want to do. Give it five years, teach for five years, and then decide what you want to do moving forward." So I did that. And going back to the comment I made to the dean. In my fourth year teaching in Atlanta, in my school, I won Teacher of the Year. 
And then you were like, peace. <laughs> well, no, I continued. That's after the fifth year, that's when we moved to Austin. So my wife had just graduated nursing school and she was in Arizona. And we were like, let's meet in the middle. Austin was like, this is 2013, starting to get some buzz. So we moved out here. Just Where's like, your wife from? She's from Tucson, Arizona. Okay, so you met her at uh, met Arizona? Her, yeah, Arizona. She moved to Atlanta for a couple of years and then went back to nursing school in Arizona. Okay. So we met in Austin. This is what I learned a lot of people do. I think you guys might have done it. We decided to move here without ever visiting. Like we came for a weekend, found an apartment, and we were like, okay, we're living here. So we, we sort of did the same thing. I mean, we, long story short, uh, when I first started dating Aaron, uh, I drove 12 hours to move to Nashville. So from New Jersey to Nashville, I drove 12 hours in a two door Infinity G35. I had, all I had to my name was some clothes and a TV, a little TV. I unpacked and one day later I drove another 12 hours to Houston and asked her out on our first date, which we drove to Austin because I'd never been there before. Um, so when we got here, we ran on Lady Bird Lake and I was in my, in my gut. I was just like, this place is, this is awesome. And when I moved to Houston, I gave her a time frame of saying like, look, I don't want to stay in Houston. I'll live here for a little bit because you have your job here and, and we're stable here, but I want to move somewhere else and preferably head West coast. So the only two places we're looking at are really Austin and California, but we didn't look at any places to live in Austin. We just went online and just like picked the spot yep. and we ended up living there for two and a half years. And it turned out to be probably the best decision we ended up making because now we're literally only, I mean, it's a five minute drive from where we're sitting right now. And the, the move to here was really easy. So somehow the universe put us in a really good spot in Austin. I feel like it does that for a lot of people. So talk a little bit about that transition. So you, you went into this career, what were your feelings like? So you won teacher of year. What were your feelings like that first year, that second year, that third year? Because for me, like when I first got into a job, I have a little, I had a little bit of the opposite where I didn't like what I did, but I was making a really good money for a 22 year old, 23 year old. So it was kind of the opposite feeling for me. So I'd love to learn more about what that opposite feeling is like. You kind of love what you do, but you're not getting compensated enough for it. What, yeah. what was going through your head? So when you're in it, like the first year you asked, I was 20, I just turned 22 yeah. when the school year started and I'm teaching 10 year olds. It's like, I'm not that much older than them, you know? Um, and you start having that, that, that feeling of uh, imposter syndrome of like, yeah, yep. I know that feeling. Yeah. What are my friends doing? Yeah. So I'm 22 years old. I'm, I lived at home. So the, the $40,000 I was making didn't seem quite as bad because yeah. I didn't have many expenses. So I was like, you know, live at home for a year. After that first year, I moved out into an apartment. Wasn't paying a crazy amount in rent. So again, keeping expenses low, but still you're doing it. I'm doing a job. I knew that I was having an impact. I was in a title one school. Title one is low income. So it was very interesting. The school I told you, it just opened the first year I taught. It's in an area, one of the most affluent areas outside of Atlanta called Sandy Springs. And literally there was a, a street of apartments surrounded by multi-million dollar homes. And they rezoned from another school, my school, for the kids that lived in those apartments. So, so they could have a better education? Or what was the purpose of the re rezoning? Depends on who you ask. But <laughs> at the other school where most of them were zoned to before, 
they were very affluent kids, so it it was a little too diverse, I think. So yeah, it yeah. It depends on for the one kids, it's it's messing them up. But did the transition help them in the way of like they can get more attention that they needed rather yes. than getting left behind? So it was a very needy school, like ninety seven percent Hispanic. When I had parent teacher conferences, we had a translator in the room. You know, I had to talk to the translator, but talk. I had to yeah, look at the parent. Like, yeah, <laughs> but but the translator would then relay what and I said. And when you're when you're like, let's go back when you're in college. Like this is not what you're thinking about. No, like whatsoever. No. So you get yourself in this scenario, and so I mean, I mean, you were you were there five. You stayed in Atlanta for five years. Yep, doing that. Taught fourth grade for four years, and then the final year moved up to fifth grade with my fourth grade class. It was an incredible class that I taught a fourth grader. So they said, there's a fifth grade spot open. Do you want to move up with them? And that means having the same kids again for another year. And I was like, absolutely. Like they were an incredible Yeah, Cause class. I always wondered when I was a little kid, I had that happen twice to me yeah. in my, in first and second. And then like, take it as a compliment. Like, Cause the teacher has to agree to it. And you know? so does the school ask you or. Yeah. There was a fifth grade position open. One of the teachers left. Okay. So they approached me and said, do you want to move up and be a fifth grade teacher? You'll have the same class. Okay. So then where in that four or five year span did you start thinking like of the next thing? Didn't. Not for those five years. Then we moved to Austin. I got a job up in Pflugerville after my first year of teaching in Pflugerville. Still, I'm making $42,000 a year. I mean, Austin's an incredible city. A lot of stuff, a lot of food, a lot of entertainment. All that costs money, but living off East Riverside and South Congress, where rent's a little bit higher than what I used to pay. Yeah, and, and all this temptation to do all these cool things, you're in yeah. a new city, and it's just like you start looking at your expenses a little differently. Yeah, so after the first year, and again, I hate, I keep coming back to I hate making it about the amount of money you're making. But for me, my wife's a nurse, and there's a ceiling in education. Unless you want to, even if you become an assistant principal or a principal, the amount of money you're making for the amount of responsibility and the work, they are so underpaid, it's ridiculous. And to do that, it would mean taking out more student loans to get my master's degree. So you have to have a master's to become an assistant principal. Well, and, and if you really care, and for those that are listening out there, I, I go about it the same way. If you really care about the systems and like changing them, you have to go private, make your own money, and then inject it into the things that you're doing. Yeah. And we'll get a little bit more into that because that's what you're kind of doing with Community Bucket. We'll talk a little bit that, about that later. But for anybody that's listening to this story, I think a lot of people get trapped into thinking like, you're a teacher forever. Like if you get into teaching yeah. or, and it doesn't have to be teaching, it can be anything. Like any job, they get stuck into five years turns into 25 really quickly. Very quickly. Rather than realizing like you can go this other path. And then if you want to go back and you can actually probably make more of an impact now yeah. on the educational system than when you were actually a teacher. Yeah. And that's the cool thing. Go look at my garage. I saved, when I, when I was packing up for the final time, I saved so much shit. So I was like, if, if, if I go back, <laughs> I'll want this poster. I'll want this book. It's, I need to just get rid of it. But so after my first year of teaching up in Pflugerville, I remember we were looking for a new apartment and we were driving around with this apartment locator. And he was like, you should look, you're a teacher, you should look into getting a real estate license. You can do it over the summer and make some money on the side. And at the time I was like, it's that easy? Okay. I actually went that summer and got my license, which getting your license 
if you could do it online, I went in person because I wanted like the classroom environment. I think all in, I was eight hundred to a thousand dollars to become a real estate agent. Yet when you go to school, you have to pay forty thousand to fifty to a hundred thousand dollars. It's crazy, exactly. absolutely asinine. So, Same thing with like personal training. You get like a seven hundred dollars certificate, and you can start making your own money. Yeah, very very quickly. Then it's up to you. Yep. So I got my license as like a okay. I want this as an option, but I still taught the following year. So 2014 to 2015, I taught that school year. As I was approaching the end of the year, I was like, do I just go into it? So did you just sell your first step- house yet? Yeah, like take a step back. So like you get your, you get your real estate license over that summer and yeah. did you like actually start practicing or no, are you just sitting on it? I finished my, my classes like in mid-August when the school year was starting. Okay. So I literally just sat on it didn't do anything, didn't really approach it. Because once you get started in the school year, it consumes you. Teachers do have side hustles, but it's extremely tough because you're, the days, the, the amount of time and energy that you spend in the day of, of teaching, especially when I was up in Pflugerville and living downtown, I would get home at six, seven o'clock and you can't go into, I tell people- You just want to relax. Like, yeah. You just want to relax. Yeah. I was spending my Charge. Sundays at Bennu Coffee Shop grading papers- writing lessons, lesson plans for the following week, like it consumed me. And again, there's that ceiling, right? So as the end of the school year was approaching, I was like, I either need to do this or not. Like I have the license. If I don't just jump into it, it's never going to happen. And I remember we had some friends from Dallas in town and the wife, we were on Rainy Street. She was talking. I was t- kind of telling her like, yeah, I have my license. I just don't know if I should jump into it. You know what she said to me? Just fucking do it. So how long? So that's like six months, right? This is a almost a year. This almost is from August until the following May when the school year was ending. What stopped you? I honestly wasn't even thinking about real estate. That just means... So for those of you who don't know Ian, he's a really good guy and works really hard. So that just means that you were really focused on your kids and doing your job. Oh, yeah. And that's that's a good thing. So then obviously, but I guess that starts to, were you looking at your finances? Like what, like what really inspired it? Because for me, um, again, coming from the opposite space of like, I'd rather make less money and work on something that fuels me up every day Mm -hmm. to then being in the opposite shoes. Um, but even I realized really quickly, like in personal training and nutrition consulting that I could make a pretty good amount of money really quickly if I, if I worked really hard versus, when you work a nine to five and you're grading papers on Sunday, you're not getting paid for that Sunday, right? Oh, no. Versus now, like if I work on Sunday, I get paid because it's on me, right? Yep. So same thing with you. If you go show houses on Saturday, Sunday, how was that transition for you mentally in the beginning? Because I know that trips a lot of people up where when you are in this structure, it's very easy. Like you show up at this certain time, you got to grade at this certain time, you do this. But then when you're throwing into your own business, so yep. walk everyone through do you remember your first house you sold? Where was it? How did, how did it happen? Yeah. Uh, how'd you get that lead? Who so, was it? So as how'd a, you build that momentum? So I'll take you back to, I guess, June of 2015. The school year ended on a Thursday. And like the teachers had to come on Friday. And I was like, I'm going into my office. So I'm with the Keller Williams office in Southwest Austin. That's where you came to do the podcast. Yeah. And they have classes for new agents. And I was like, I'm going to be at the office every day. Like I have to commit to doing this because 
when you go going back to the structure of being a teacher, like everything's down to the minute. Lunch was at 1137 and then you pick your kids up at 1203. You know, it was like everything's down to the minute. So coming into jumping into this world of now I'm creating the schedule. I'm my own boss. I had to use some of those tools to implement into now doing it on my own. So I just made myself go to the office and I'm surrounded by other new agents that are also starting. So getting accountability partners, like we would meet every day, we would script practice. So what that looks like is whether it's phone calls or just having conversations with clients about objections, things that come up, we would practice with each other. We would go look at, we would drive around and look at houses together. And back to your question of what was my first client? It was a coworker of my wife. They knew that I had just gotten my license, but they were like, we want to buy a house. So I didn't really know what I was doing, but um, you just kind of- We still don't. That's, yeah. that's, the, that, that's the key. Well, you never yeah, do, as, really. And as yeah, as, as saw, we just learned on my fucking house. There's took, always surprises. Oh there's always surprises. We won't even get into that. But. Yeah. Um, let's block that out. <laughs> no, but, but you, you just make it work. And, and when it really comes down to it, the goal is to satisfy the client. You know, like my job was to make you happy when all these other things are going on. I want to make sure that I'm communicating with you. If you have to get a hold of me, I'm there for you. And even when all this shit is out of our control, try to make it seem at least like we got a handle on it, you know? Yeah. Like you're going to live to see another day. We're going to live to see another day. So how much of your old job actually transitioned to that? Because that's that's something I think people downplay on themselves is we're all self-deprecating where most people aren't confident in themselves. They always are trying to prove themselves. And we think, oh, if I leave this little structure and this little bubble, like I have nothing to offer anybody. Yeah. And one of the things I always tell everybody is you can, you have a lot to offer anyone. Like even if you're a college student, you can get go tutor high school students. And if you just got a, you're a young professional, you can then go tutor college students. Mm-hmm. And if you're in middle management, you can help the people below you. And you can, you always have something to offer, but we get in our own head. So how, how did it feel to not have students anymore, you're actually becoming a student. Yeah. What was going on in your psyche in that moment? Because I think a lot of people struggle with that first month, three months, six months, men- mentally more than anything else. What was going on for you? Well, there's always questioning your confidence because now I'm, instead of dealing with 10-year-olds, I'm dealing with adults, people that may or may not have a lot more money than me, that have a lot diff- more education than me. And you start to question yourself like, Am I capable of doing this? Am I confident enough to do it? And the competence side of it. If you've never sold a house before, how do you know what the hell to do other than learn it in a class? And in the classes, they don't teach you about the shit that hits the fan and what to do. So then it turns to humbling yourself and becoming, like you said, becoming a student. And I would, so the office that I'm in is the biggest office in the world for our company highest volume level. So there are some like big dogs in our company or in, in the office that I go in to. In office I was in? Yeah. Yeah. That's and I awesome. just picked the hell out of their brain. And I wasn't shy about it. If, if, if they gave me their number, if I had to find their number, I would call them or text them. And a lot of people don't want to do that. You want to be a master right away. And I'm, I think about you were like, you're a smart guy. You know, you are an engineer. You ask the most questions from anyone, the most like questions about every detail more than anyone that I've ever worked with. And that's a great, I think it's very admirable because you you, piss my parents off a lot, but (laughs) 
Why is that? Can you imagine a kid that like just asking oh, you, questions? Oh, under, you're saying oh, it used to just, piss. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they just want to be like, just listen to me. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Well, well, I've been like that since I was a little kid. I just love learning. Yeah. And like I'm, I've always, I'm, I'm a student. I believe that life is a game and yeah. I just, it, it fires me up. And that's why working with you was awesome. And that's why I chose to work with you because I wanted to work with somebody that wouldn't get, that, that gave me the time of day to answer those questions. Yeah. And I knew that coming from you is because again, relating back to your teaching, exactly, like you had to deal with kids that needed help and yeah. you were there. So it, it took a massive amount of patience. And for anybody that knows me, especially my wife, it takes a lot of patience to be around me for any extended period of time because I do not let anything go unturned. Yeah. So you got into this real estate. So you, you're starting to learn, you're becoming a student. So you used to be the teacher. Now you're the student. Was there any time that you can remember where you're just like, this is not for me? Or was it always like, this is going to be my path for the next foreseeable future? Well, I think getting into it, I kept thinking like, am I super passionate? Is it like the real estate that I'm passionate about? Like, do I get really excited seeing a house with like quartz countertops or, or a beautiful kitchen? And like, while it's, it's nice to see that it didn't like, there are some people who just love that and love interior design. For me, it's not necessarily that that drives me, but I started working with some of the teachers that I worked with. And then I started helping some of their, the kids that I taught helping their parents. And then I started working with people that I, I was friends with. And that made it more exciting for me because I'm starting to build these relationships with people on a different level other than like, passing by and saying hi in the hall. Well, you're changing the game to a historically transactional business yeah. to actually building relationships with people that go far and above buying a house. Yeah. And that's another reason that, that we chose you is because like a house is a house. I mean, that house in retrospect to like what I want to do with this world is, is going to be nothing, but yeah. it is a huge investment in this time frame, mm -hmm. And that's where you come in and help people it, it's more of like a family oriented thing. Like even I'll tell you a story, like we're, we're signing our papers to close in this house and he has his daughter in there and she's coloring. And like, that's exactly why we wanted to work with you because that's like, I'm a family. I want to be a family man. Mm -hmm. And that just represents what the industry should be rather than the buttoned up shirt and tie, trying to make a transaction, trying to negotiate every little thing rather than humanizing it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where that huge transition of being a teacher to real estate, from my eyes, has helped you tremendously. But I'd love for you to maybe talk about a few points that your teaching career has helped you in real estate. What do you think has helped you the most when it comes to working with your clients now from your, from your past? So going back to you, you asking your parents why, 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 and... A quick backstory. When my daughter was sitting at closing with CJ, she's in the why stage right now. And she kept saying, why, why, why? And I told CJ and he kneeled down to her and he said, always ask why. <laughs> Never stop asking why. So um, again, the schools that I taught in were always very needy. Working with kids that, you know, in fifth grade are on a second or first grade reading level, it's really tough and requires a lot of patience. And I think teaching in those environments taught me a lot about patience. And as you experience, things go crazy. There's always, yeah, I had to. There's always surprises in in real estate, and patience is huge. I have to reiterate because I'm impatient, so I had I have to reiterate this for. 
for the listeners when I was working with Ian. Um, I'm a very direct individual, so it it sometimes comes off as aggressive. Yeah. But every time I would reiterate, look, like everything, I'm still smiling, but like this shit needs to get done. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and if it doesn't get done, I'll still be smiling. I'll still be optimistic. But the only way that we can move the needle forward is to kind of be a little bit more direct and like, I mean, it's a huge investment of time and energy totally. and everybody. And then for me, I'm like, I just want to get out of his hair because then he can move on to this next project and things like that. And that's something that I didn't know. And I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm honestly happy all that headache happened with this first one Lovely. because I learned so much more than if like we had bought a, um, like a five-year-old house that is just basically you sign on the dotted line and everything goes yeah, pretty smoothly. It doesn't always happen. Yeah, it would, <laughs> probably doesn't happen that often, but I'm assuming what we went through probably doesn't happen that much. And for those that don't know, we uh, we found a house that was being built still. So there was a lot of uh, issues with the government getting documents in and then different contractors coming out and the timelines being confused. Um, and then my our lease at our current place was running out so we had nowhere to stay so a bunch of different stuff that i didn't you, you can't even foresee yeah um you try to plan for but i'd love to know like what has the craziest thing that has happened like in the real estate world just because i, I want to know because of what i went through so craziest thing um it was actually i was doing an open house when i first started that was one way for me to generate business was doing open houses so what that looks like you're going out in the morning, you're putting a bunch of signs out, you're at the house for two, three hours, and it doesn't always have to be your listing. So you can contact, I, would, I was in the habit of contacting builders because I liked being in new construction homes in like the 78704 area. So if you're not familiar with, with Austin, 78704 is like a hot zip code that is just south of downtown. Travis Heights, Zilker, Bolden Creek, all those like hot neighborhoods. And I was in an open house and it was a duplex similar to yours, but they were actually attached. And I was in the front unit and I show up there and there was luggage, there were people, there was shit all over the place. And I called the agent and he was like, oh, it's actually an Airbnb also. So there might be someone staying there this weekend. <laughs> no like, way. So you didn't tell me that when I signed up to do it. So I was like, do you want me to have the B unit open as well? And he was like, yeah, you might as well keep that open or have it available to, to show people that want to see that one too. So again, if you're not too familiar with Austin, a lot of builders are buying one lot, one piece of land and putting two homes on it, either attached or detached. And they call them condos. So there's an A unit, a B unit or a one unit and two unit. Yeah. So, so I, apparently I'm a head of a condo association now. Yeah. I'm the president. Yeah. You're the president. The two treasurer, you're everything. <laughs> so I go to the back unit. I open it up. And sorry for the foul language, but there are dicks all over the place. You Wait, want me to what? elaborate, right? So I walk in. It's best bachelorette. Bachelorette party. <laughs> there are the whole house. It stinks like alcohol. There's bottles all over the counter. There's penis straws, penis cups. In the bedroom, there was a vibrator sitting in the closet. Like it was... I don't know if this is a little too much for you. No, no, no. Keep podcast, going. This is, this is awesome. <laughs> I was like, what the hell did I get myself into? So I wound up calling the agent. He was like, yeah, you probably just want to lock up the B unit. The girls were gone. 
they were probably out. I mean, they started, they were probably at brunch or something. It's like in the middle of the day on a Saturday, but this house was just torn apart. Bachelorette party. And I kind of used it. You have to make the best of it, right? Yeah, I knew yeah. I was going to be there for three hours. So I made it like an icebreaker for the people that walked in. You know, I'm, I pushed the Airbnb stuff in the front unit to the side to make it look nice. And as people came in, I kind of made it the joke of the day. Like, you don't even want to know what's going going on in the back unit. I told them a few of the things that I found. Um, and it's just like a... You're just practicing. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And that's that's something I think, again, that you got to have fun with it. You got to have you fun just, with You just got to have fun. Everything that gets thrown at you, yeah. if you can transition everything to just having fun with it. And again, like going back to my own, like behind closed doors, I'm researching all these articles and whatever. And as much of a headache as it is for someone like me that wants to get into real estate investment, like mm. I was having fun with it. Yeah. Um, and I was having fun calling people and being like, we need to get this done. And like this, da, da, da. like that, that's the fun part for me. Um, and I think a lot of people struggle with that. What, what, what made you like that? Have you just always been like that? To just in to just embrace yeah, it? yeah, just embrace it. I've always been a pretty easygoing guy and try to make the best of of situation. And the one thing that going back to teaching, you can never get too emotional because if you get emotional in real estate, at, you'll make rash. You can make bl- yeah. things blow up. And I've seen other agents do it. And I always make a point. I try to establish a good relationship with the other agent that I'm going to be working with. If I'm on the if I'm representing the buyer, you know, be respectful and be nice to the listing agent. Sometimes you don't get that back, but when you need it, it will pay off because if you get emotional and start taking, because you were very emotional at times trying to get things done. And if I took that same emotion and relate it to the title company or to the listing agent, or if I had contact with the builder, then they might've perceived it much differently. So I'm like your filter. Yeah, I mean, it's for anybody, for anybody out there, uh, happy wife, happy life, and feeling the pressure of, well, yeah, we're not going to have a spot to live and all this. Like, it's that's cool with me, yeah. but like, Aaron's got a job to be at every day, and and we have things that we need to get done. Exactly. So I start feeling the weight of not just myself, but somebody else. And if you've never that's where, bought like, a house before or sold a house. It is very emotional, and knowing that going in is very helpful. But that's kind of where me coming in, maybe make crack some jokes and here and there to comment and just assure and funny you that everything's going to be. I'm okay. typically not the emotional type, um, but again, when it when it comes well, we to got, when we got down to that point, it was yeah. When it comes to like messing with my your home life yeah. and livelihood, that's when I start get anything else. Totally. Kind of like I can brush off, but as soon as it's my livelihood and it, it's you take home things home with you. That's when I'm just like, all right, enough is enough. Let's figure this out. And for me, a lot of it, again, is just expectation management. I'm cool if if they would have told us like, yeah, we're closing two days before Christmas from the get-go. And it's just like, this is what's going to happen. I'm cool with that. Yeah. But it's just the every single week not being the able sixth, to get- The 13th. To, yeah, the, not get yeah. the documents and stuff like that. Um, so it's cool to hear hear you think about how you handle that. And that's where in my head, I was like, damn, like- how do you deal with this all the time? Yeah. So that's alluding into my next question of like, what's your foreseeable future? You, you think you're going to stick with this career path for a while? Or do you, do you want to be an investor? Do you want to try other things? Yeah. Um, what's on your mind these days? So it is kind of like a big thing in my office to, you, you start and then you start building a team. 
build a team, bring on buyers agents and listing agents and admin and build this mega team. Sounds like a headache. Not what I'm looking to do because that would lose the interaction and the relationship that we've been able to build over the last several months from working together. I wouldn't have that. And that's one of the reasons why I've, I've stuck with it, stayed in the business. So um, I would be fine getting to a point where I have like an assistant or an admin that's just working on like client customer care and I'm still the the main Face. point of contact. Yeah. And if you need me, when we go look at houses, we're like, I'm your guy. What real estate has allowed me to do is open more doors like Community Bucket, the podcast, doing things that make my life more fun. So, I mean, this is cool because we relate so heavy on this level, especially with Thrive. Um, for any for everybody that, that listens to this knows, like my, my goal in life is to be like one of the best serial entrepreneurs that ever lived, but it comes at a cost because I don't want to build a 500 person employee empire. Yeah. Like I want to build a lean and mean team where it feels like family mm-hmm. and I enjoy every single day, no matter what money's coming or going or whatever it may be. Um, and I think that that's the, the infinite mindset is what they call it, where you know you're going to be if I'm going to be here for the next 50 years I'm just going to be patient with it and mm-hmm. consistently like it takes 20 years to build a great brand and one day to ruin it so it's just like living by that men- mentality and you you do that better than almost everybody in this in this city I would believe because I I follow closely all the all the people that I surround myself with and you're so patient with even your own personal brand and your podcast and community bucket um and we're young yeah, you got you got so much time, and that's what again, a lot of people try to bite off too much, and they cut corners, and they hurt relationships rather than being very direct mm-hmm. um, and accepting of what they can take on at this very moment. So let's let's dig into that. Like, wh- what else are you doing on the side? So we've kind of already transitioned from you were a teacher, you went into real estate. Um, anybody that's listening. You should be inspired now to realize that you can do it. If Ian and I can do it, anybody. I went from teaching 10-year-olds to dealing with adults, not knowing anything about business, branding, finance. I mean, you do everything when you start. Yep. Um, It's just making that leap, making the decision to do it. And I understand there's finances. There's not everyone has a – my safety. But that's when you sit down with people that are good with finances. Like just like you did with the – your coworkers and pick their brain, like – that's yeah. what I did. Like I didn't work at first. Like what I didn't quote in quotations work. I did the hard stuff that you don't get paid for. And that's sitting down with people that are good at accounting, sitting down with people that are good mm-hmm. at finance, sitting down with people that went to school for things that I've never, words I've never even heard. Yeah. Like in real estate, like um, what was the earnest money? Yeah. Like <laughs> earnest money. what was the other stuff? Buyback lease or something like Leaseback, just, escrow. Yeah. Shit. I just did not know. Right. But I could either be, continue not knowing, or I could ask you, what does this mean? And then guess what? What do we do after that? It's like, Hey Ian, I think you should make videos of this. I shit you not within two days. Ian sends me a badass video of what earnest money is, what escrow and all these different things. So that's what separates you. And then on top of that, what separates you is this, this need to, okay, I'm a realtor, but I'm, I'm not labeled as a realtor. I'm not labeled as a teacher. I have no label. And that's what I try to live for. And that's the people that I try to surround myself with. But that comes at a cost mm-hmm. because you're doing multiple things. So I'll let Ian talk a little bit about, he has a podcast called What's Brewing, and then he also has a nonprofit called Community Bucket. Uh, so let's start with Community Bucket. Where did it start? 
who started it? How yep. did it get here in Austin? And what does it do? And how can we support you? So seven years ago, my brother started Community Bucket in Atlanta. And his big thing was he liked to go volunteer. He would go and he'd volunteer. And then they would volunteer and leave. And never You would never talk to anyone again that you just gave back with for two hours or three hours. And he was like, there's got to be a way to get people together that are like-minded, that are similar age group, to build more of a community. So he started Community Bucket as a way to do that. So we, what we do is, or I'll say what he started out as, he would pair a volunteer event with a social event. So the idea is you get like-minded young professionals. So we, we say people in their 20s and 30s, young professionals moving to new cities, you want to meet people. So go do something good with them, give back, and then he plans a social event where everyone will go from the volunteer project over to a brewery or a restaurant and he'll have some sort of like social planned. That's so that awesome. You can now build community, kick back, maybe drink a beer, do eat some So beer. when was this started? Seven years ago. So twenty thirteen or twenty twelve. Okay. And it's in Atlanta now. And it's in Atlanta. You brought it to Austin. Is it anywhere else? Yeah. I'll get to that in one second. So when I first moved here, I was like, community bucket would be incredible here. But as a teacher, I told you what I was doing on my weekends. I just didn't have the time to commit to it. So getting into real estate gave me a little more flexibility to be able to pursue that. So in 2019, so a year ago, we we did our first official launch. We had 30, I think 35 or 40 spots. It filled up. I love Austin. We were like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> I fucking love Austin. So I called the nonprofit that we were working with and I was like, can you handle more people, like five to 10 more people? And he's like, yeah, sure. So we opened it up to five more spots, filled up. We wound up having 47 people sign up for our launch event. And we were like, who the hell, who's coming to this? Like, who, how are people finding out about it? And it was really just like word of mouth, a little bit of social media, friends bringing friends. And we did, I think it was five events last year. This year, we're working on monthly, we're doing monthly events. So we've got a big one coming up. So you asked how we can, listeners can support. We've got a, our big Love Your City event coming up February 15th. So enjoy Valentine's Day on a Friday and then come out on Saturday. Um, we're going to be at Colony Park. So what we do, we partner with local nonprofits. So we partnered with Austin Parks Foundation and Everyone knows Zilker Park. Everyone knows Auditorium Shores, the parks that are central. But what they told us is that oftentimes the parks that are a little bit further out get neglected. Yeah. So while you might not be as passionate about cleaning up Colony Park, which is east, it's about 15 minutes from downtown, it's, there's a big need and it all is a big part of keeping our city beautiful and, and having parks that you want to go run in, you want to go have a picnic or bring your dogs to. So we're trying to get 75 volunteers. Oh, we got this. For that we first event. Check my social. You'll see everything that has to do with It'll be our biggest community bucket. It's a little ambitious. So my brother moved to Denver a couple years ago. He started in Denver. So in 2019, we expanded to Austin, Denver, and New York City. So do you have any, any eyes on the, another city this year? Or I got friends... Coast to coast, man. We can get this running. We got Boston, LA, San Diego. I think we wanted to make the goal is to make sure that 2019 went like went well. And then 
after this year, I think we're going to look at new cities, people that are really passionate about starting it because I mean, for him, like it's his baby. Yeah. It's giving it, I mean, I feel a lot of pressure because if I fuck it up, <laughs> it's your brother. You it's gotta, my brother. You got to come home to it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I'm making sure that we get as many people out to these events. We've had some great feedback, great response. People that come to the events are like, we've been looking for something like this since we moved to the city. Yeah. That, that's how you would expand though. Yeah. So you just, you'd ask your communities that you already have. Hey, do you have friends or families that would be interested in, in running this in a, in another city? Yeah. That's so, man, that's inspiring. So you're seven years in, you're hitting that curve where you open up a couple yeah. cities and then mm-hmm. you can do 10 cities all in one year eventually, exactly. which is, which is really cool. So, so it is a nonprofit in itself. And then we will partner with local nonprofits. We stay away from like, um, you know, Habitat for Humanity. Everyone knows it. They can get thousands of volunteers. It's a great organization, but we're looking for the, the local kind yeah, of grassroots local. Yeah. organizations that need volunteer groups. Hell yeah. So that's not all that you're doing on the side. You also have a podcast going now called People What's say to me, they're like, what the hell are you not doing? Like I'm showing up. Well, how do you respond to fun. that? I'm having fun. You know, because I get that question all the time. What the one, what do you do? Yeah. Um, everything. To make a living. Um, and then two, like, where are you not like right now? Yeah. Like you should, I mean, that's the thing. Like when I met you, you know, you start popping up on my Instagram more because I'm like actually seeing what you're doing and then thrive on fit. And then the, the thrivepreneur, like you're doing a lot. And then I talked to someone that I randomly see out and they're wearing a strive together, thrive together hat. I'm like, Oh, you know, CJ, of course, everyone knows CJ, you know? And it's, it's a cool thing because it's all about to me building the community and it's fun to do. It gives me chills thinking about it because I just filled out, I got nominated for Austin under 40. And one of the questions that they asked is what does community mean to you? And it was really cool for me to answer that question because I said community means everything to me. One of the things like growing up is I grew up in a neighborhood and had a bunch of friends who would skateboard, we'd play sports. And then I was on, I played so many different sports and I just remember the friends my parents made and you never thought about all the worries of life. It was just yeah. like fun, like all the time. And then you go in the college and you either join a fraternity or a sports, whatever. And then once you leave that, it's like, yeah, where, you where's it? my people? Like, yeah. and you, you get to this realization that, um, for people like us, I get more fired up to give and see people light up at the events that we throw than taking anything from it. It's just like the coolest thing I, I've ever done. Yeah. And that's where I'm just, I'm grateful to have people like you on the podcast that represent that same exact thing. And there's just no expectation. It's like, Hey, come to this cool thing. It's going to be fun. Bring whoever, yeah. and we're going to give back. And that does more for life than anything than money ever will material items ever will. Um, because we're all at the end of the day the same. We're all human beings. And, and I'll, I'll quickly brush over the podcast. I don't want to like bore the listeners with like the whole, you know, no, this is your, t- this it. is your time to shine, man. This is, a, this is why I bring people on. Cause like the, the essence and ethos of thrive is to support other brands. That's yeah. why thrive was built. That's why I do all the Instagram accounts that you, you mentioned. It has nothing to do with other than helping people that are trying to build their own thing. And the way that that helps is anybody that's a teacher or real estate, clearly you can see that you can do anything. Right. And so, um, we got about like five minutes left here. So if you could just dig into why podcasting, 
who started the idea and where you guys are trying to go with it in 2020. And then that way, one, I can help support the mission and then yeah. maybe some of the listeners can as well. So I, I saw you at the Gary V talk when you came to Austin and you were there, right? Yeah. 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 I got a whole, speaking of community, I got a, a picture of like, I got that's right. 40 people to go to upstairs at Caroline's. We got this huge picture. Okay. I know when, when I started saying that you were looking at me like, Wait, okay. I want to no, make. I, sure. well, I, I remember seeing like Fiaz and I met Shay. They were right in front of me, so I I definitely knew you were part of getting that whole crew there. But I read his book, Crushing It, which I saw over there in your uh, little library, and he was talking about podcasts. And the example he used in his book in the Facebook section is about a real estate agent that started a podcast and started interviewing, you know, the city council members and talking about things that were happening in the city. And I was like, there's no audio version of what's happening in Austin. And if there was, I didn't know about it. So let's make a good one. And I started thinking about how to make it a little more exciting. So I was like, what if we got local food truck owners, restaurant owners, business owners, people that were running nonprofits, people like you that are like making an impact in Austin started interviewing them so we, we do talk real estate a little bit but it's really not about that so it's called what's brewing atx and we literally our goal is to talk to people making an impact in austin so the what's brewing side of it there's a guy in my office craig he's a good friend of mine he's a gary v guy and we were talking about what if we started a podcast and another friend of ours jonathan who i don't think he was there when he wasn't there on he was episode. out of town um we were like, would you want to get in on this too? So he was like, oh yeah, it sounds like a good idea. So we brainstormed a bunch of names. We went What's Brewing ATX. The What's Brewing side of it is each week we feature a local beer, wine, or spirit to help give exposure to these companies that people might not know about, breweries or wineries. And then we were like, well, if someone comes on our episode and doesn't drink, we need to expand a little bit more. So we've had you know, Juice Land and coffee shops and kombucha we're literally just promoting them just to promote them. And it's not like they're, these companies are giving us products. We drink whatever beverage it is we're drinking it on the episode. And we do a little quick segment at the beginning to talk about it. We usually record on Wednesdays. It's just become a fun way to like middle of the week. We know we're going to have a little happy hour. Show. It makes things fun. Yeah. yeah. With whoever is able to show up. And then the last one we had Eric on who owns the Ocean Lab. And just hearing his story. And, you know, if you don't know about the Ocean Lab... You may never go. You may never know what float therapy is or infrared. Yeah, why it therapy. exists or what, why what you exists. could use it for. Yeah. So for us, we had one person that contacted us. They were like, hey, someone heard your episode and became a client that's of mine awesome. or a patient of mine. And that is like, that's incredible. So really the goal in 2020 is to continue. We did 39 episodes in 2019. So we're shooting for minimum 40 this coming up year. And really just to meet more people like we'll find just businesses on instagram and if we like what they're doing or it looks like a something that people would be excited about interested about we'll reach out to them and get the owner in or get whoever the main point of contact is and invite them in hell yeah that's awesome so we got time for one more thing we got about like two minutes okay so last thing is for anybody out there what piece of advice would you have for somebody who's basically sitting on the edge of their seat at their job right now, maybe listening to this, maybe listening to Gary Vee and wanting to start something, yeah. what would be your piece of advice for that? Man, I think 
obviously the hardest thing is, is taking the leap. And what we usually think about is the financial side of it. I didn't, I knew that it could be seven or eight months before I had a paycheck. You need to have some sort of plan. And if it means easing into it, setting time aside during the day at night, I know I told you I didn't want to do anything at night when I got home from work, but if you're super committed to doing it, set time aside each week to start jumping in and you really have to pick a time where you're just going to go all in. Going all in for me was what changed the game. Doesn't give you a chance to go back. Like that's the same thing for yeah. me. It's just like, and it's also a weight lifted off of your shoulders. It's, like, it was a huge, when I went in and told my principal that I wasn't coming back next year, it was scary. But after I did it, I was like, okay, yeah, this, this is, is happening. Yeah. This is, this is what I was meant to do. That's awesome. You know? And then to hit home on something you said earlier is like reduce your ego and reach out to people oh my God. that have already, that are in where in the shoes now where you want to be in a year or two or three years or five social years. media right now, especially like Instagram. That's how Matt Delgado shout out to Dr. Matt. He told me about CJ. You got to meet this guy, CJ. So what I do, send you a message on Instagram. We met at um, Cherrywood coffee house. I remember yeah, exactly. right down the street from here. Yeah. And you have to reach out to people and you might reach out to 10 or 20 and one might respond. That's the person you want to meet with. Most people focus. Oh man. I could go on a whole episode of this. Most people focus on the 19 and how those 19, yeah. this or that, or why didn't that, whatever, rather than tripling down on that one. It's, I have so many agents yep. DM me. There's so many people that are saying, I'm looking into getting my real estate license. What advice would you give me? Or, and I usually write this like long thing and they're like, wow, we didn't expect Stop you. Stop writing, start doing video. It's way more efficient and they're going to love you for it. Um, but we got to start wrapping this up. Alrighty. Where can everyone find you at? So you mentioned Instagram already. So Instagram. list off your Instagram, your email, whatever's the best way to contact you and get in contact with you for, for information. Yeah. So, um, real estate stuff, which isn't, I'm not going to bore you on my real estate account. I, I try to make it fun. Um, at real estate underscore ATX for community bucket. It's at community bucket underscore ATX podcast at what's brewing atx a lot of atx in there and then check out my youtube channel which i've been trying to ramp up that was another thing i actually just had my first video hit a uh, first thousand view video Let's which most of, go. most of them are like 30 views and 40 views but i made one it's called moving to austin top 10 reasons why you should move to austin and people i guess are watching it so that was something i created not expecting to have a big audience but um just keep pumping out videos. So check me out. Just look up Ian Grossman on YouTube. Hell yeah. So thank you so much for, for showing up here today. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's been crazy to see where life has taken us. And I'm super appreciative of you for the house and everything. Um, and love hearing your story. So everybody that's looking to learn about real estate, teaching, how to be an entrepreneur, because I consider Ian now a serial entrepreneur like myself and a good person. That's really what it's all about. Please reach out to him, reach out to me to get connected with him. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. Until next time, this is CJ Finley with the Thrive on Life podcast. Thrive on y'all.